Well, we have been taking time this summer to, to walk through that with that conviction that, that God wants to develop and display in us uh, the, the, the character of Christ. We've been saying this way, that God is at work in the followers of Christ, seeking to develop and display the character of Christ so that, that our lives and the world around us is impacted uh, by Christ living through us. Kind of a summation of some of those characteristics of Christ are the fruit of the Spirit there in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We've been uh, taking our time this summer walking through those, looking at them along the way. And this morning, I want to focus on, uh, on the, the, the characteristic that we'll just sum up with the word faithfulness, or said another way, that you can count on me. It was September of 1870, interestingly enough, that's the same year that this church was founded, the history of this church. There were members of the Washburn Langford Doan expedition. They were traveling down Firehole River, coming out of the, the Kepler Cascades, and they, they, they entered into a basin. And then here's the description of what they saw from Nathaniel P. Langford. Judge then what must have been our astonishment as we entered the basin at mid-afternoon of our second day's travel to see in the clear sunlight at no great distance an immense volume of clear sparkling water projected into the air to the height of 125 feet. Geysers, geysers, exclaimed one of our company and spurred our jaded horses. We soon gathered around this wonderful phenomena. It was indeed a perfect geyser. He continued to write, it spouted at regular intervals nine times during our stay, the columns of boiling water being thrown from 90 to 125 feet at each discharge, which lasted from 15 to 20 minutes. We gave it the name Old Faithful. Old Faithful. It has been recorded uh, over a million times it has erupted uh, since uh, that that uh, day, and the, the hundreds and thousands and uh, folks have uh, traveled out to Yosemite uh, every year to to see Old Faithful. And while it's because of some earthquakes and other things, the timing of it has changed a little bit through the the past century. It is still that that faithful eruption. About every ninety minutes, you can count on that, depending upon how long and how strong uh, the last uh, eruption was. Old Faithful. There's something about faithfulness that we depend on, we count on, we lean on, and look toward. It is one of the characteristics that God values as well. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, Proverbs says, but a faithful man who can find. There are many folks that will tell you, you can count on me, you can depend on me, proclaim their, their love and their faithfulness, but a faithful man who can find. Perhaps that's why one of the fruits of the Spirit listed there is that characteristic of faithfulness because it is, it is so important to God. Well, why? Well, why is faithfulness important? Well, there are perhaps several reasons, but let me just give you three this morning. First among them is the fact that God models faithfulness. God models faithfulness for us, and we could spend the rest of the day looking at scriptures that testify to the faithfulness of God, but for the sake of our time this morning, let's just look at one. For the word of the Lord is upright, 
And all, all his work is done in faithfulness. Everything that God does operates out of his character, and his character is marked by faithfulness. And it's that character that he's seeking to develop and display in and through our lives. It is important because God models faithfulness, but not only does God model faithfulness, but God rewards faithfulness. God rewards faithfulness. In Matthew 25, Matthew records for us the teachings of Jesus, and is so often characteristic of Jesus teachings as they're recorded in the gospels he's teaching in parables and one of those parables is the parable of the talents talents in this sense being not our skills and abilities but a weight a unit a measure of money and many of you perhaps are familiar with this parable as it's recorded in the gospels there's a man going on a journey he calls his servants and he entrusts to them his property To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away, and they put him to work. The one who had received five talents went at once and traded with him, made five talents more. So also he had had two talents, made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And verse 19 tells us that, but he, that not long after that time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he had, he had received five talents, came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And likewise, as you continue reading, the one who had been entrusted to two returned uh, two more, and he gets the same uh, commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But the third servant was a different story. Instead of using well what had been entrusted to him, he hid it, he buried it, and just returned it with, with, uh, with no growth. He had not put it to work, and he had all sorts of excuses. And his master would have none of them. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. At my coming, I should have received that was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a stark contrast, isn't it? You get the sense God is serious about faithfulness, that faithfulness matters to God. He rewards it. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, I'll entrust you with more. Enter into the joy, but the one who was unfaithful received not condemnation and not a awe, hard situation, you're excused, but he received 
the exact opposite. God rewards faithfulness. We're called to be faithful. We're called to be faithful in our relationships and in our resources. In our relationships, to be faithful most of all in our relationship with God. To be faithful in our relationships with other people, beginning with our own family. We're to be faithful with the resources, and that certainly includes the financial resources, but all the resources, the abilities, the talents, the capacities, the opportunities, the time, all the things that God has entrusted to us. We are called to be faithful, and God rewards faithfulness. But you know, there's another reason why faithfulness is so important, and that is because in the end, faithfulness makes life so much easier, doesn't it? I mean, faithfulness makes life so much easier. Sometimes Proverbs has a colorful way of of kind of describing things. Trusting in a treacherous man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. (laughs) Have you ever counted on somebody and they didn't come through? It's like a toothache. It's like trying to navigate slippery terrain. It's difficult. It makes life so much more complicated. It's been said that the greatest ability is dependability. The greatest ability is dependability. The the person who just shows up, the person that you can count on. And our lives are so much easier. Our lives function so much easier when there is faithfulness, when there is dependability, when people do what they say they're going to do, when they say they're going to do it, how they're going to say they're doing it, all of those things. Our families function much better when there is dependability. Our work workplaces function much better when there's dependability. Our churches, our our social groups, our organizations, schools, governments, on and on it goes. Life is so much easier when there is faithfulness, when there is dependability. And so God highlights that. It's who he is. It's who he has designed us to be. He rewards it, and he knows life works much better when there is faithfulness. But how does that show up? How does faithfulness show up in our lives? That's what I really wanted to spend the the rest of our time on this morning. What might be some of the characteristics of faithfulness? And as we go through this, we're going to kind of cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time. And this is what I'm just going to invite you to do this morning. As we just walk through this, just say, God, how's this showing up in my life? And maybe, maybe as you look at this, you say, you know, God, you've grown that in me. That's, that's a point of celebration. And celebrate that. Maybe as we go through some of these, you'll say, hmm, that's a growth edge for me. That's an area where perhaps the Spirit is prompting me to to make some adjustments, to allow Him to do a work in me so that He can do a greater work through me in this area. So let's just walk through several of these this morning. How does faithfulness kind of display itself? What are the characteristics of faithfulness? Well, it begins very simply with keep your word. Keep your word. Proverbs puts it this way, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift. He does not give. Oh, how disappointing it is, particularly if you desperately need rain, to, to see clouds that, that look like they're, they're going to be full and feel the wind and then not get a drop of rain. And so that's kind of the image of somebody who tells you what they're going to do, and we've all encountered that, right? Somebody that makes a promise, somebody that says this, and then they, that they don't follow through. 
It's, it, it, it leaves just a, a bad taste in our mouth. Jesus put it succinctly. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let your word be your bond. Say what you mean and mean what you say. It is so important in the relationships in our life because one of the leading causes of resentment is broken promises. It's broken promises, whether that's between a parent and a child, whether that's between spouses, whether that's between friends or coworkers or, or whatever it might be, the broken promises cause great resentment in our lives and in our relationships you know, it says something about our world, doesn't it? You, you remember there used to be a day, and it wasn't all that long ago, where a handshake was all it took to close a deal, right? Now we've got pages and pages of contracts, right? And I understand the necessity of that in the world in which we live, but it, it speaks to something that has been lost, something that has been lost in our culture today been said that we just ought to ask ourselves this question from time to time can other people count on me to honor my word it's not a bad question is it can other people beginning with those I live with work with play with can other people count on me to honor my word I understand for all of us there's we we forget something we make mistakes or you we things happen beyond our control but through and through am I a man or am I a woman that people can count on me to honor my word faithfulness shows up when I keep my word faithfulness shows up when you use your talents when you use the talents the abilities the the capabilities that God has entrusted to you the spiritual giftedness for those who are followers of Jesus Christ Peter talking about those gifts put it this way as each has received a gift Every one of us, if we're a follower of Christ, has been gifted for ministry. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That that all of us have have been entrusted with with, with giftedness. All of us have been entrusted with experiences, with talents, with opportunities, with aptitudes. On and on the, the, the list goes. How am I stewarding those? How am I managing those? That's the picture back in Matthew 25. They were entrusted with this in resources and how they use them mattered to the master. It mattered to the master. Faithfulness depends on what we do with what we have. Now, many of us, we, we can fall into a trap to say, you know, if I had that gift, if I had that opportunity, if I had those advantages, if I had that kind of support system, if I had those resources, if I had, if I had, if I had, I would. That's not the question, is it? The question is not what would you do with what somebody else has. The question is, what are you doing with what you have? With what God has entrusted to you? In Matthew 25, the master sovereignly decided, five, two, one. Master's prerogative. God has, in Peter's words, given to us each a gift. We've received a gift. It is his varied grace. 
Let us not waste our life arguing about or wondering about what we don't have when God says put to use what you do have, what you have been entrusted with. That's the mark of faithfulness. What are you doing with what you have right here, right now? Use your talents. And in order to do that, you're going to have to make the most of your time. You're going to have to make the most of your time. Faithfulness, like just about everything else in our life, eventually shows up in our calendar. It shows up in our time. Paul challenged the Ephesians. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil, to make the best use of my time. You know, sometimes we don't think in these terms, but, but we need to. Because when I waste my time, actually I'm wasting my life, right? I mean, because that's, that's what my life is made up of, these moments, these non-repeatable moments. And so when I say, ah, what'd you do? Ah, I'm just wasting time. It's like wasting my life. It's no dress rehearsal. No do-overs, you know. No time machines to step back in. What do I do with this moment, with this day? And, and please, please don't hear me wrongly here. Absolutely, absolutely rest and time of, of relaxation and, and recreation are a part of God's design for us. From the beginning, he, he talked about uh, the six days and the seventh day was to be different. It was to be distinct. It, built into our physical rhythm is the need for sleep every single day, right? We've got to eat all of those things. That's part of that. But what do I do? with the moments that God has entrusted to me, right? And please hear me. God understands your schedule. He understands the pressures. He understands the season of life that you are in. And what is the best use of time in this season of life may be different from a previous season or the next season of your life. God understands where you are. That's why uh, my use of time always has to flow out of my relationship with God. It's, it's not, you know, and some of us want this way. I'm kind of this way. It's kind of like, well, can't I just like get my schedule fixed and just like run with that for the next 40 years and it'll be good, right? No. You have to, there's, there's flexing. Listen, when, when you have small children, you're in a different season of life than you are when you're in an empty nester, right? When some of you are walking through some waters now, you perhaps have some aging parents and all of a sudden you, you're finding you're having to take care of them. God understands that season of life, right? Maybe it's a, it's a spouse going through a health crisis or another crisis. That's a season of life. It'll change what it means to make the best use of your time. God understands your season. God understands your schedule. He will allow you. He'll show you how to best steward that time. But can I just push on this for just a moment more? Just the thought. I mean, when you come to the end of your days and look back, is it really going to matter who got voted off the island? I'm just saying. Is it really going to matter 
that you saw one more cute video. Huh? Is that really what I want my legacy to be? I don't know who got the rose this week. I, I don't know those things, right? I don't know. Now, there may be other things that say, well, you spent your time. I understand. But make the most of your time. Fourthly, faithfulness shows up when you stand by your friends. When you stand by your friends. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. That there is, there is something about faithfulness that, that, that hangs in there. There's a reason why we have uh, terms in our, in our language like fair weather friends, right? And because we've all known those. We've all known those that are there when the good times are rolling. There and in just a few moments along the way. But, but, but where are those folks that stand with us in the tough times? Stand with us in the midst of adversity. I've shared with you before because it's just one of my favorite kind of definitions or descriptions of this. It was a newspaper that was running a, a kind of a contest for a, a description of, of friendship and of all the submittals, of the winning submittals middle was this one. A friend is one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. I still like that one. A friend is one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. That doesn't mean you don't bring up the tough subject, have the hard conversation. That doesn't mean you don't challenge if that's the most loving thing to do. But it means that a friend stands there when everybody else perhaps is running away a friend stands by you faithfulness stands by the way aren't you glad that God came in when everybody else would come out Uh, aren't you glad that God was faithful to you even when each of us was faithless toward him that's how he wants us to relate to others as well stand by your friends And then faithfulness shows up in the little things. Be faithful in the little things. Luke's gospel, kind of building on some of those themes out of Matthew and others. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Sometimes we excuse ourselves and say, well, it's just a a little thing. It's it's just a little thing. Nobody will notice. And I'm just a little guy. I'm just a little uh, cog down here. And there's this big machine or there's folks up in that level or whatever. And that's where the big stuff happens. And little things, they don't, it's just not that big a deal. Nobody's going to care. But little things produce big results. Little things set the trajectory of our life. And one of the helpful ways for me to think about it sometimes, even in terms of change, is you know, sometimes we think, well, just one or two degrees isn't that big a deal. And it isn't at first. But you take that out a few miles, and it becomes a huge, huge gap, doesn't it? Little things make a huge, huge difference. When we are faithful in the little things, it's part of the proving ground, it's part of the testing ground, it's part of the shaping of our character and our capacities and our abilities along the way. One of my favorite stories about little things matter happened many, many years ago. It was in Philadelphia. It was a stormy night. A guy working as a clerk in a hotel. 
older couple comes in they've been seeking a hotel room and they asked do you we've been to all these hotels and all the big ones nobody has a room do you have a room and let me just read you the rest of the story he said all of our rooms are taken there's a convention and three conventions in town but I can't send a nice couple like you out in the rain at one o'clock in the morning would you perhaps be willing to sleep in my room The couple replied they couldn't do that, but the clerk insisted, don't worry about me, I'll make out just fine, he said. Got him into his room. Next morning, as the man paid the bill, the elderly man said to the clerk, you are the kind of manager who should be the boss of the best hotel in the United States. Maybe someday I'll build one for you. The clerk looked at his man, he looked at his wife, and kind of smiled, and all three of them kind of chuckled and had a good laugh over the man's little joke. Then the clerk helped them with their bags to the street and and waved them goodbye. Two years passed. The clerk didn't really think about that incident very much anymore, almost had totally forgotten about it, until he received a letter in the mail. It was from this couple, and they kind of had to remind him of the incident. And they also had in that letter a round-trip ticket to New York, asking the young man to pay him a visit. He thought, you don't pass up, you know, a free ticket to New York, right? So he arranged to to, to make the visit. He shows up and he meets the couple. And during their time in New York, the old man led him to the corner of 5th Avenue and 34th Street. He pointed to a great new building there, a palace of reddish stone with turrets and watchtowers thrusting up into the sky. That, said the older man, is the hotel I have just built for you to manage. You gotta be joking, the young man said. I most assuredly am not, said the older man, a sly smile playing around the edges of his mouth. The man's name, William Waldorf Astor. The hotel was the original Waldorf Astoria, and the young clerk who became its first manager was a man by the name of George C. Bolt. Why? Because little things matter. Faithfulness in the middle of a storm at one o'clock in the morning to a couple you probably are never going to meet again matter. It matters. Faithfulness shows up in the little things. Six, manage your money well. Faithfulness shows up. It shows up in our calendar. It also shows up uh, in, in our bank statements, right? Jesus, again, teaching as is recorded in Luke's gospel. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? Well, what we have taught through the years because it's scripturally true, uh, God uses money. God uses money in our life. Money is a trust. It's something he's entrusted to us. It's a tool. It's a tool that he uses to shape our character. But it's also a test. It's a test of our priorities. It's a test of our heart. It's a test of those things that we truly value and love. Money is all of those things. That is perhaps why Billy Graham said years ago, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight... It will help straighten out almost every other area in his life. Why? Why would Graham say that? Because of what Jesus said. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That your heart shows up in a very tangible way in the way that you handle stuff. In the way that you handle 
your resources. If God is first place in your affection, it's going to show up in your stuff. And how we handle our finances determines to a large extent what God can do in our lives. And I know sometimes we excuse ourselves because, well, if I was rich, listen, folks, let's just, let's just get real for a moment. Step back and look at it from the scope of the whole world's population. We're rich. I know most of us don't feel that way, but we are. We are. And we, we have such incredible abundance. But even if we didn't, the principles are still the same. How we handle our stuff shapes our heart and reveals our heart. And so I'm just going to encourage you. Maybe if this is an area that you're starting to walk through this and, and God's kind of saying, this is, one, this is a growth edge. This is a growth edge for you. Then, then I'm going to encourage you. Take advantage of an opportunity. Walk out into the lobby here and after the service and, and sign up for the Financial Peace University Disciple Life uh, course. Or, uh, you know, just allow somebody to come alongside and maybe do some coaching as to, as to, how, to how to manage that stuff in a way that, that God is pleased. God says, you have been faithful. You have been faithful. And because when that gets right, It helps to begin to bring some order to a lot of other areas of our life because it is a reflection of our heart. Faithfulness shows up in how I manage my stuff, how I manage my money. Number seven, be faithful in your work. Be faithful in your work. Whatever you do, Paul wrote to the Colossians, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That, that is a different mentality when it comes to our, our work. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working for the paycheck, or I'm working for the insurance, or I'm working for, for my family, or I'm working for this corporation, or I'm working for my supervisor, or whatever it may be. But far beyond that, and there's truth in all of that, but far beyond that, superseding all of that is when I work at whatever work God has called me to do, whatever work I have in this season of my life, whether it's paid or not, whatever work I have, I am doing it unto Him. I am doing it unto Him. And my faithfulness is not just to a company, but it is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we can get into the trap of everybody else. Well, I tell you what, they, that man, they, the way they treat their people around here, why should I be faithful to them? Because I tell you what, they're not faithful. They're not faithful to any of their employees. I tell you, we're just cogs in the machine. They'll cut us. I get it. I get it. That's, that's the reality of the world in which we live. But I'm saying... If that is what God has called you to in this season, and maybe there's another job in another place in your future somewhere, I don't know. But if this is what God has called you to right here, right now, be faithful in your work. Be faithful in your work. Christians, I think, should have the reputation of being the most dependable people at work. 
Well, wouldn't that be a powerful testimony? Yeah, yeah. Somebody's got open positions, and they say, well, I, you know, I know we're not supposed to have this criteria, but man, if you can hire one of them Christians because they flat out work. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be? They're, they're not going to steal. They're not going to slough off. I mean, get me some of them. Right? What a great reputation. I always, when I think about this, I always think of the, the comment of Zig Ziglar. He said, there is one stretch of highway that never has a traffic jam. And that's the extra mile. <laughs> he said, there's never a traffic jam on the extra mile. Because right? so many folks are just doing enough. Enough to get by. But to be a man or woman who says, I'm serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful, not because my boss is the greatest boss in the world. And some of you have some great bosses. Some of you are some great bosses. Thank God. Not because your company is the greatest company in the world. It may not be. But because you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so be faithful in your work. As long as God has you there, work unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful in your work. Let me give you one more. Commit yourself to a church family. Commit yourself to a church family. This is, this is another one of those venues uh, where faithfulness shows up. The, the New Testament talks about us not only being connected to Christ, but being connected to other believers. Uh, Paul loved the imagery of the body of Christ. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another one of another that there is a vital connection not only to Christ but to other believers as a follower of Christ I am part of the body of Christ it, it, it's not an option it is inherent in being connected to Christ and at its core, church membership is a commitment under God to other Christians. A commitment under God to other Christians to become a participant and not merely a spectator. To become a contributor and not merely a consumer. I'll be honest with you. One of the, one of the, the, the trends that, that has me concerned across kind of the North American landscape of, of church and, and Christianity, just for that broad label, is what I call consumer Christianity. And it begins to treat the local expressions of a body of Christ almost like a restaurant. Yeah? So it's like, what do you feel like today? Uh, yeah, well, a little Italian, a uh, hamburger, and seeing folks that become consumers. I, I, I'm going to go over here for this worship experience. But I, I, I want to kind of tie in over here because they have this, uh, this good Bible study program. And, and you know, my, I want my kid over here in this one because they have this good kid thing or this good student thing. And I become a consumer. 
I mean, none of us wants that in our family, right? You know? Honey, I love you for this, but I'm going to go over here for this. And, uh, and I think this one over here will work for... No. No. We, we invest. We invest in lives together under Jesus Christ. Under God, I commit to brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know that is, in some sense, increasingly, sadly, becoming countercultural. But I think it is still biblical. And what I say to folks, listen, just get in wherever God leads you. If it's a Bible-believing church, if they're, they're teaching God's word, their own mission to, to, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, they're operating biblically, then, then if that's where God has you, get all in. Get all in. Yeah. But wherever you're at, get all in. Don't be a shopper and a hopper and a consumer. But be a part of the body. How goofy it would be for my lungs to say, hey, I'm just going to go over here for a couple days. I'll be back. (laughs) The the body doesn't function that way, right? I mean, we got to be vitally connected to God through Christ and vitally connected to one another through Christ. And so I, I just say, listen, it, it doesn't have to be Baptist. I just tell them, get all in wherever you're at. And I'll just go ahead and say, there's no perfect church out there. Because I've been to a few of them. I've talked to a lot of folks from them. And you know why? Because every stinking church is made up of people just like us, right? <laughs> we all got stuff. We all got baggage. We're all on part of a journey. And we all rub each other wrong. And different local churches do some things better. And this does that one better. And that, you know, that's all right. Just wherever it is, get all in. Get all in. That, that's my encouragement to you. I guess maybe the way to kind of tie all these things together is to just take you back to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, but seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let let your first faithfulness, let your first love, your first affection, your first priority be to the king and his kingdom. And when that is in place, then all of these other things, all these things that he said we tend to worry about as he taught them there in Matthew 6, all of these other things we've just been talking about, all of these things begin to fall more and more into place. When he has first place, everything else gets aligned in its proper place. Seek first. Make your first highest faithfulness be unto him and to his kingdom, his righteousness. And when you do, some of these other characteristics will begin to increasingly display themselves in and through your life. And so I want to tie this together now with with a question and one more story. The question is simply this, who can count on you? Who can count on you? World War I. In the European theater, it was such a horrible time. You've 
perhaps read the accounts, you've seen pictures, you've seen movies of that trench warfare. I mean, what a, not, there's no good way to do war, but that was particularly horrible. In the midst of the spending time in trenches and charging one another and bodies being killed and back and forth gaining just little bits of ground and in the midst of that was sometimes formed some powerful friendships. I want to just share you this story of one. Two buddies were serving together in the mud and the misery of that wretched European stalemate. Month after month, they lived out their lives in the trenches, in the cold and the mud, under fire and under orders. From time to time, one side or the other would rise up out of the trenches, fling their bodies against the opposing line, and slink back to lick their wounds, bury their dead, and wait to do it all over again. In the process, friendships were forged in the misery. Two soldiers became particularly close, day after day, night after night, terror after terror. They talked of life, of families, of hopes, of what they would do when and if they returned from this horror. On one more fruitless charge, Jim fell, severely wounded. His friend Bill made it back to the relative safety of the trenches. Meanwhile, Jim lay suffering beneath the night flares between the trenches, alone in no man's land. The shelling continued. The danger was at its peak. Between the trenches was no place to be. Still, Bill wished to reach his friend, to comfort him, to offer what encouragement and hope only friends can offer. The officer in charge refused to let Bill leave the trench. It was simply too dangerous. As he turned his back, however, Bill went over the top. Ignoring the smell of cordite in the air, the concussions of incoming rounds, and the pounding in his chest, Bill made it to Jim. Sometime later, he managed to get Jim back to the safety of the trenches, but it was too late. His buddy was gone. The somewhat self-righteous officer, seeing Jim's body, cynically asked Bill if it had been worth the risk. Bill's response was without hesitation. Yes, sir, it was. For my friend's last words made it worth it. He looked up at me and said, I knew you would come. I knew you would come. That's what faithfulness looks like. Who can count on you? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Oh, Father, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies we see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Oh, Father, we just praise you and thank you that you are the faithful God. You, it, is, it is who you are. It is your character. Father, thank you that even when we have been faithless, you have been faithful to us. And, Father, we just we praise you for that today. And, Father, we, we know that not only do you desire to display your faithfulness to us, but you desire to develop and display faithfulness through us. And so, Father, today, I just, I pray right now, Lord, I pray knowing that perhaps in this room right here, right now, is someone that, that even as Terry shared in his testimony, that maybe they know about you, but they don't know you. 
They don't have a personal relationship with you. They have not experienced your faithfulness through the provision of Jesus Christ. And Father, I just I pray that today would be that day. Today would be the day when they, they, they step into trusting in your faithfulness and your provision. That today is the day of salvation, the day when you call them to turn from sin and self and place their faith and trust in you and you alone to discover that you are the faithful one. Lord, let today be the day of salvation. Father, I pray knowing that, that sometimes we, we, we get disoriented. And, and Lord, that for those of us who are followers in this room, Father, right here, right now, that you would, you would reorient us to the kingdom. Uh, to your kingdom and to your righteousness. And Father, that, that we would just even in these moments affirm and realign our, our faithfulness to you and to your kingdom and to your way. And Father, just ask that you would just graciously speak to us about how faithfulness is being displayed through us. Father, I, I pray today knowing that, that maybe there's some areas that we're, just, that we're growing in. And, and Father, help us to celebrate those, celebrate that evidence of your grace. Maybe there's some areas where we still need to grow quite a bit. And Lord, help us to not flee from that, but to understand that, that tweak, that conviction, that prompting is evidence of your grace and your faithfulness to us. And help us to lean into it and allow you to develop and display faithfulness in and through us. And I'm just going to invite you now just to sit before the Lord for just a few moments.